All right. Hey, if you um, have a Bible with you or pull out one of the red Bibles in your chair, would you turn with me to John chapter 6? If you are using a red Bible, John chapter 6 is on page 520. Again, we're looking at John chapter 6 this morning, and last week, as I mentioned, we began this new series called From Death to Life. And in this series, we're looking at this this unbreakable chain of events um, called an order of salvation. And, And it's these various ways and means in which God has shown his love and favor towards his own people. Uh, bringing them from death to life. And last week, we started the series looking at how from before the foundations of the world, before we could ever do anything worthy of his love, he looked at us and loved us in Christ. And that began this unbreakable chain of events. And this morning, um, we're, we're looking at the next step, which is really, if you fast forward in time from the before the foundations of the world, fast forward to a specific moment In all of our lives, if we are in Christ, uh, in which God calls us to himself. Um, And this this calling of God, this is something that we share. Every Christian has this as part of their story. Because all Christians, all, uh, all believers in Christ share this story of going from death to life. And God calls us to himself as part of that story. And it's my hope in this series Uh, as we look at each of these things, that we would together learn this new set of vocabulary. You know, election or being chosen by God, being called by God, being uh, uh, regenerated by God, being converted by God, being justified and sanctified and adopted, all of these wonderful theological terms that, you know, you might read about. I, I want those ideas and concepts and, and, and illustrations to become part of our story as a church. So that when we get together in story groups, or when you grab coffee with one another, or go on a hike together, or invite someone over for dinner together, that this could become part of our shared knowledge of one another. So that you could sit down and say, hey, tell me, tell me about the way that God called you to himself. And you could Share your story of going from death to life. This would become a common vocabulary amongst us as a church. And it's appropriate that we use these words uh, as a church. The Greek word for church, ekklesia, actually means the called out ones. And so it's, a, it's appropriate for us to look at what does it mean for God to call us to himself because that is what it means to be part of the church. It's to be part of the people that God has called out of the world. And this isn't, um, this isn't calling in the sense of like, you know, I feel called to this profession or I feel called to move over here or to go and do that. Those are important and worthy of another discussion. No, this is God sovereignly speaking into the death and darkness of our lives, calling us to life, calling us to himself. So we're going to look at that this morning from John chapter 6. And um, as we look at John chapter 6, we're going to see three things about God's call 
we're going to see first that it's necessary, that we need God to call us. Secondly, we're going to see that God's call is powerful, that it does something powerful. And then thirdly, we're going to see that it is life-giving, that when we are called by God, it gives us life. So let's look at John chapter 6. And in this passage, um, Jesus has just fed the 5,000 with the fish and the loaves. And um, it's the next day. And all the people, all the thousands of people who witnessed this miracle, they, they went back to their villages that night. They told their friends, they told their neighbors and said, come, let's go out and see this man. So it's the next day and everyone's come to find Jesus again and to listen to him teach. And he begins to teach about something that, that bothers them. He, he shares with them that he has come down from the Father, that he has come from heaven to reveal truth and salvation to them. And they don't get it. They, they just, they cannot understand or grasp what Jesus is talking about. So that's, that's where we pick up in John chapter 6, starting at verse 41. Um, the, the bulletin and the slides end at verse 47, but uh, I'm going to continue through the end of this paragraph. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word, and I thank you for uh, your word that you revealed to us. And we pray now uh, through your spirit, Lord, that we would hear you that we would learn about you, that we would be drawn to you through your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. So first, we see here that God's call is necessary. Uh, as I said, Jesus is talking about these difficult spiritual realities, and the, the people listening just are not uh, hearing it. It's not sitting right on their ears. They begin to grumble with one another. Some of them probably just don't understand because Jesus is using these illustrations, I am the bread of life, what does that mean? Other people do understand what he's saying and they just can't accept it. You know, they say, wait a minute, this is Jesus and we know Joseph and we know Mary, we, we've seen him in Nazareth and now he's saying he's from heaven? It just doesn't make sense. And so people are grumbling, they either don't understand what he's saying or they can't accept what he's saying. And Jesus responds 
He says, do not grumble. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. He makes this this statement. He's saying, no one can understand me. No one can truly come to me and follow me and agree and accept everything about me unless the Father, unless God himself draws them to me. Or let's use the word we're talking about. Unless God calls them to me, they cannot come to me. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that God's call is necessary. You can't follow him without it. And that's because we exist in this state of confusion. We exist in this state of of separation from the knowledge of who Jesus is. That there's some truth about who he is and what he's done that we either we don't understand or we can't accept as true apart from God revealing it to us and calling us to himself. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, he, he says that we are dead in our sins. It's this spiritual death that we all enter into the world in. I mean, you can see it here. People are coming to Jesus who are actually physically in his presence, and yet Jesus says, you can't come to me unless the Father draws you. So he's talking about this spiritual vitality that you cannot have unless the Father draws you to him. And this necessity, it is, it is necessary for everyone. It's necessary for everyone. He's talking to a crowd, and John calls them the Jews. This is John's way of saying that Jesus was talking to the religious people. These are, these are people who grew up going to synagogue every Saturday. These are people who traveled with their parents and their family on pilgrimage every year to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship and offer their sacrifices. These are people who grew up going to Jewish school, learning the Jewish Bible, memorizing it, and saying, I want to follow the Lord. These are people who looked to God to save them. And yet there they are standing in front of Jesus and they cannot come to him unless the Father calls them. It is necessary, no matter who you are, no matter how elite religiously or spiritually you think you are, it is impossible for you to come to this life in Christ unless the Father draws you. This is something I have to remember all the time when I think about my children. Look, I, I love my kids, and I love uh, seeing them dance. I mean, I, I love seeing Theo dance, that he loves listening to praise music, and he lo- we taught him early on the doxology, and he loves to sing it by himself. I mean, it's, it's so, so wonderful. This week, he was playing wood blocks, and unprompted by me, he made the blocks to look like a church, like with pews and a cross and, and an altar. And, and I posted a picture and made a funny comment about being a pastor's kid. And like, it, it is my hope that Theo and Julia and, and our third coming, that they would live in this Christian household in which we talked about Jesus with them and that we prayed together and that they learned the songs that we sing. 
I, I love when he asks us to read the Jesus Storybook Bible. It delights me to share the stories of God's love with him. And I, I want him to grow up and be excited about church. I want him to grow up loving that we open up our home and that he, he joins us in being hospitable hospitable to our neighbors. I, I want him to be a good kid, I, I, all of them. I don't know why I'm just focusing on Theo, but I want them all, I want them all to be great and, and, and children with integrity and that they would sit with the lonely kid at the cafeteria. I want them to be like that. But if that's all they have and they don't personally respond to the call of God and come to Jesus, they are dead in their sin still. I have to remember that, that my prayer is not that they would just grow up and be good little boys and girls, but that they would receive and respond to the call of God on their lives. That needs to be my utmost prayer for them. And this is something we all need to remember. Like, I know that there are people in here that grew up in church, went to Christian school, went to Christian college, have been members of a gospel-preaching church all their lives. But those things do not make us qualified to come to and follow Jesus. We all need to hear and respond to the call of the Father when he says, come. We cannot presume upon our religious experience. And this is good news. If you are here this morning or listening on the podcast or watching on Facebook and, and you're not a Christian, this is good news because the difference between you and someone else who grew up in church all their lives, there's nothing different other than by the grace of God, he has called some to himself. This is hopeful news that, that no matter your story, no matter your history, no matter if you grew up in church or not, his call goes out graciously. We, we looked at this last week when we looked at God choosing us from before the foundation of the world, that he does this not based, based on any merit of ours, but freely and graciously he calls some to himself. And that is hopeful news. Look, when you think of yourselves in comparison to your neighbor or your coworker, like, do you think of yourself as somehow better because you're a Christian and they're not? No, this is, this is a truth that sort of levels the playing field, that apart from this mighty and gracious act of God, we are just like them, and that we can all respond to the call of God. It is necessary. This is necessary for you and for me. This is necessary for our neighbors. Unless God works in people's hearts to call them to himself, our gospel proclamation is, is ineffective. There will be no genuine saving response unless the Lord works in people's hearts. So let us pray for that. Let us pray for our neighbors that the Lord would call them to himself. If, if we're not praying for that, then we better not expect it to happen. So let's start praying as a church and as families and as neighbors for one another to come to the Lord. 
God's call is necessary. But it's also powerful. It's powerful. You know, we read that unless the Father draws him, unless the Father draws him, it's the Father, God Almighty, the Sovereign One, the Holy One. He is the one that calls, and when he speaks, there is power. When he summons people to himself, something happens. You know, when we call out or summon someone, our word just goes out into the void. It carries no real intrinsic authority with it. If you're a parent, you know this. Hey, go clean up the playroom before dinner. We can say that as many times as we want, but it has no power in itself to accomplish the thing that we want. Or if you've got coworkers or colleagues, or if you're a manager and you say, hey, can you go and redo that task for me? Can you revisit this project? Can you follow up on that? Your word by itself does not have the power to actually accomplish the thing that you want. But that's not true with God. God's word has power. We looked at Genesis in the fall. How does it begin? In the beginning... God made the heavens and the earth. There was nothing, and then God spoke, and then there was everything. God said, let there be light, and then there was light. Before there was a sun, there was light because God spoke it into being. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians said that it is this God who spoke light into the darkness. He has spoken into our hearts, shining the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. When God's call goes forth, it goes forth with power to accomplish the very thing that it wants. When he says, come to me, we go to him. That's because God's word has power. This is why it is so crucial for us as, as God's people to make a habit of and a practice of sharing the gospel. Because it is God's word that goes out with power. It is not God's programs of a great children's ministry that goes out with power. It is not God's gift of musicianship that goes out with great power. It is not the community that he has gathered that goes out with great power. It is the very word of God that goes out with great power. And so each one of us have the, this great privilege of possessing this word. I mean, God's word itself, that we can go and share that with others. And it has power. The things that we do on Sunday morning when we gather together and, and when we invite our neighbors to experience our worship service, we saturate it with the word. We, we begin with hearing the word spoken over us. We join our voices together and sing the word amongst us. We gather and pray the word into our hearts. You listen as I am preaching the word. We come and celebrate the sacrament as we are seeing and tasting the word. Everything we do here is for the purpose of sharing the word of God with one another and with our neighbors. Because it is the word of God that has power. 
This is why Jesus said to go into all of the world and make disciples of all nations by preaching the word of God, sharing the gospel with our neighbors, wherever they might be. This is what uh, Jesus goes on to say. That He says, As it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. How do we learn and hear the Father? We go to the one who was sent by the Father. We go to the one who has seen the Father and teaches us about the Father. What's interesting is it's, this, it's almost circular logic. We go to Jesus to hear Jesus tell us about the Father so that the Father calls us to himself to go to Jesus. We can't go to Jesus unless we hear from the Father, but we don't hear from the Father unless we go to Jesus. It's this circular, illogical reasoning We go to Jesus and we hear from him about the Father. And we hear in his words the summons to come to him. But this doesn't go against our desire. It's not as though God's power is some force against us, that like we are resisting it and he overpowers us. No, this is... is, um, He woos us and draws us to himself like, like, you know, like a lover who's speaking tenderly to their mate. Like, I, I love you and I'm drawing you to myself. I want you to be with me. That's the way that the Father speaks to us. It's not, in, it's not against our desires or will. It's actually in accordance with those things. He speaks to us in such a way that we find him beautiful and attractive and we're drawn to him. Have you ever read a book or, or watched a movie or heard a story on the news in, in, in which it captivated you? Like it resonated with something deep in your heart. It's like this story touches something that's on something that's true and foundational to life itself. I, I just finished the Harry Potter series and last sermon illustration from Harry Potter for a while. But at the end of the seventh book, uh, spoiler warning, but you could have read it or watched it. Harry sacrifices himself before Voldemort in order to put an end to this great evil and save his friends and family. That resonates deeply with us. Why? Because it shows us the beauty of Jesus. It shows us the beautiful truth that Jesus gave up himself, sacrificed himself in order to defeat the greatest evil that plagued our lives. Why? So that we might be rid of that wickedness and come to life. So when we share the gospel with our neighbors, we aren't sharing with them some rules or regulations to follow. No, we go to them with the beauty of Jesus And the attraction of the gospel that says, this is the thing that your heart was made for. This is the thing that deeply resonates with you. So we share with them this beautiful, attractive, powerful word of God. And it's in that that the Father calls us to himself.
So we've seen that God's calling is necessary. We need it. And unless we have it, we can't follow Jesus. That it's powerful, that it actually does the very thing that it wants to do when we share the word of God. Finally, it is life-giving. In verse 47, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever is called by God and responds to Jesus, they have eternal life. God's call is life-giving. It leads us to real life. And what is this word, eternal life? I mean, we hear it all the time in church. We hear it all the time in the Gospel of John. What does it mean to have eternal life? You, you might think that it means I'm just going to live forever with God. And, and there's truth to that. Yes, it, it, there's a temporal element to it that I will live forever with my Savior. But there's more to it. He's talking not just temporally, but qualitatively. That if you come to me and believe in me, you will have life to the abundance. You, you will have life that is fully satisfactory to you. You will find in me the life that you are longing for. This is exactly the context in which we find John 6. Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life that has come down out of heaven to satisfy every one of your hungers. Not that these Jewish people were hungry and they needed more food. Jesus is saying that you have this deep hunger in you for life. And Jesus has come to give you that life everlasting life, abundant life, life that will truly satisfy you. Jesus is that bread. He is saying, if the Father has called you to me, come to me and you will find me completely satisfying. You'll have life. Jesus says, come to me, believe in me. If you believe in me, you'll have life. What does it mean? What does it mean to believe in him in that way? What does it mean to respond to God's call and say, yes, I believe? Because the, the Jews listening to Jesus believed that Jesus was real. The people that saw Jesus die on the cross, they believed that Jesus died on the cross. But they didn't believe in the way that Jesus is saying. What does it mean for us to believe in Jesus and have eternal life? It it, it doesn't mean I believe he was a historical figure. It doesn't even mean I believe he died on the cross. To believe in Jesus, there's really three steps to it. It means to let go, take hold of, and rest in. To let go, take hold of, and rest in. And the first two are sort of put together. So we don't want to, is it Kelly Clarkson that sang the song, Jesus Take the Wheel? We, we don't want to let go and just hope for the better. No, we let go and take hold of something. What is it that we let go of? We let go of whatever else it is in our life that we are looking for for satisfaction. If Jesus is truly the bread of life that gives us satisfaction, we have to let go of whatever it is that we're holding on to. Whether it is our, our profession or career, 
Maybe it is our family and the hope that we have for who our little boys and girls are going to turn into. Maybe it's letting go of this desire after accumulating wealth and resources. Maybe it is letting go of sexual desires, letting go of securities. We have to let go of whatever it is in our life that we are finding our satisfaction in. Not that all those things are bad and we should get rid of them, but we can't cling to them and think, this is what brings me life. We have to let go and take hold of something else. Imagine for a moment you're on a... a, transatlantic boat ride across the ocean, and you're moving from from England to New York, and you've packed up everything that you've got, and they're in your suitcases and your briefcases and everything you've got with you, but then tragically, uh, your boat hits an iceberg or something and begins to sink. And you are left in the water trying to gather up all of your possessions. But as you're you're trying to grab all your luggage, it's just weighing you down. You think that this is everything that I've got. I can't let go of it. I have to hold on to it. And yet the rescue boat comes and they throw you a life raft. And it's right there in front of you. But the only way that you can be saved, the only way that you can get out of the water is if you let go of what you're holding on to. But if you let go of that and take hold of that life raft, you will live. You might think that your life consists of those things that you are holding on to. But Jesus says, no, if you let go and come to me and believe in me, respond to me, take hold of me, you will live. That's what it means to respond to God's call, to let go, take hold of. But then finally, it means to rest in it to rest in him, to lean upon him, trusting that he holds you up, to to let him carry you in his arms so, so that he takes away your burden and your guilt and your shame. That's what it means to turn to him and believe in him, is to actually collapse into his arms and say, you've got me. Friends, this is what it means to believe in Jesus, to rest in him. Because when we rest in him, he carries us. He takes us from beginning to end. He takes us from the start of of this salvation all the way to conclusion. And we see this actually in this passage. Jesus says, if the Father draws them to me, I will raise them up on the last day. Because when we're called to Jesus, we're not just called to go before him, and we're not just called to listen to him, and we're not just called to follow him in this life. We're called to go to him, to be united to him, so that what is true of Jesus is true of you, that you become enmeshed with him, united to him, so that his life becomes your life. So that his perfect record of of righteousness becomes your own. Not that you have achieved it, but because he achieved it for you. We're united in him so that when he goes to the cross, you die with him. That your sin is gone. That your penalty is gone. That your life, your old life, dead on the cross. And that when he is raised from the dead... You are raised with him. 
that your life is now bound with his so that when he enters into glory, you will enter into glory. Friends, to believe in Jesus is to go to him, to take hold of him and be united to him so that his life is your life, his death is your death, and his new resurrection is yours. Have you responded to the call? Have you responded to Jesus saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I have rest for your souls. Jesus is talking about the bread coming down from heaven, this bread of life. And he says, the bread that I offer you, the bread that I offer the world is my flesh. Friends, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it is an opportunity for us again and again every week to say, God, I come to you. Jesus, I, I, I respond to your call. I, I want to draw near to you. I want to learn from you. I want to know your glory. I want your life to cover my life. I want your death to be my death. I want your resurrection to be my future hope. So when we come and celebrate this morning, let that be you. Come to him. Find in him your life. Let's pray.